0: Hi, this is Eric Weber, head of data product experimentation, analytics, and insights at Yelp. And you're listening to Experiencing Data with Brian T. O'Neill.
1: Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill, and today I have Eric Weber on the line from Yelp. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Brian? I'm good. Yeah. And you've got the word data product up in your title, up in all your LinkedIn posts, and you've got a new mailing list all kinds of data product goodness and so that's what i wanted to like jam on today with you and get your feedback about this kind of uh it kind of feels new kind of feels old some of this is just terminology but i think there's a different approach when when we think about product as a mindset and not just a thing and how we build data-driven solutions and design them around customers so that's what i wanted to like dive in with you today about if that sounds good sounds great i'm excited to
0: talk about it and also like the best part about it is we're still at the start. So there's a lot yeah. of things to be defined, a lot of <laughs> things to discuss. Yeah. And at this point, it's like, you know, we're making hypotheses about what's important. Excited to dive in. Let's start there. What the heck is it? What, what's a data product? So I think rather than be a brand new type of idea, data product, as you mentioned before, is a new story consisting of some older ideas, right? For a long time, we've, we have a lot of frameworks about how to create, develop, manage products that inform companies all over the place from not just in tech, but in, you know, all of our classic fortune 500s, they have product management. Most companies also have data or some story around their data. A lot of times that story is not very pretty. (laughs) And, over the last you know, eight years, especially, companies have built a lot of things with that data. They've built dashboards, models, data assets that help them do things. And data product is really trying to merge and almost like smash those two things together and see what comes out. And I think that's the most interesting part is that it's a change in motion. It's not something that we've fully settled on. The most important thing for me is that thinking about data product brings companies a way to think about the long-term viability and sustainability of their data investments, which is, you know, data as a product is really supposed to be a way to think about building products from data. And part of that is creating things that are sustainable, that have a strategy, that have a customer in mind. And a lot of these things people do Maybe they don't call it out explicitly, but this is a packaging that I think focuses us in the right places rather than kind of hopes for the best, which is kind of the <laughs> general sentiment that I've seen in many companies.
1: Does this idea of a data product manager or data product management, is it important to have that as a defined term, a defined role Is it more about just having the behaviors uh, happening and the actions happening? Do you have have any strong opinions about that, especially when we think about this outside of the digital natives? And this is a divide I want to talk about a lot on this episode with you. But is that a meaningful distinction to have that role? Rather than just look at my opinion,
0: I think it's important to think about since I started even writing the newsletter around data product, I've had a lot of people come to me from many different types of companies from government agencies to like more traditional like blue chip type of companies that would not be digital natives and talk about like why it matters. And I think a big part of why it matters is it defines something as an important area of investment. And I think that area of investment up until now was kind of identified as data, right? Data science, data analytics, whatever it might be right but that produced a lot of one-off solutions a lot of things that companies maybe derived some value from but that value was not like didn't keep pace with the change in their strategy the change in like their growth potential so i think this is where it comes in which is to say if we're going to invest in data we also need to invest in product managers who think about managing our data investments over time and so i think the value there is if you don't explicitly create this type of role the behaviors and actions that you hope for i think are much less likely to take place or they take place informally or sort of on the edge of someone's job right a data scientist you might get lucky and have a data scientist who says hey i'm happy to also be a product manager and to think about strategy but if you want to bet your data approach at your company on that happening, I wouldn't take that bet. And I think this is the reason that you're starting to see this idea expand across different parts of industry.
1: If you were at a non-digital company and and let's say you're, you know, you're advising a a CDO or a CAO or somebody like this who has a lot of executive responsibility to bring value out of their data assets, why should I bring on data product management? What am I going to get for that? I already hired this data science team. They were really expensive. We've thrown a ton of money at that. And we're in the cloud and all this. We're not on prem anymore. And we did all this stuff. Why do I need this? Like, what do I get? (laughs) Tell me what I get, Eric. (laughs) First of all, it's, it's a great question.
0: I think we want to walk a bit back to this idea. What happens in the absence of doing this? I think it's a powerful statement. Most non-digital native companies have had data science around for a while now at least Mm -hmm. when i say a while it's all relative right everything we talk about is relative but they've had a few years to see what happens and the vast majority of them can point to a number of high impact fairly damaging stories about what happened when they put all of the burden onto their data science team and the reality is that companies like people Come to companies they leave, this is true of executives. It's true of individual contributors. A huge risk that you introduce if you don't have a strategy for that product that the company can own, then when people leave, your strategy for that product is also very likely to walk out the door. Yeah. and what I've seen, and you know, I think it's important to step back and say, like we're learning as we go on this. My hypothesis right now is that by introducing this as a role, you create a vision for a product that is not just tied to a person. It's not just tied to like a moment in time of the company, but it's something that you can actually have another product manager come in and understand where things are headed, potentially introduce their own variety or version of what that looks like. But I think that is really the key to seeing like the 10 to 20 year sustainability other than crossing your fingers and hoping that one person stays
1: for a long time, which right is kind of a tough bet in this environment. Linchpin, yeah, especially when there's a job shortage, there's a talent shortage and <laughs> all of that. Yeah, no, I understand. Does the level of quote data maturity or software or digitalness of the company have any bearing on whether or not this is important or that, that's irrelevant? The scale you're at the quality, the maturity level like if you were starting in like we're an old fashioned company we're a traditional company we're about to jump in and invest we, we've heard we really need to be doing more with this. do we grow into this need of a data product manager or is that a place to start with it's a great question I think I mean just
0: I think most people who are listening probably can look back and have heard the story of hey we know that our peers are investing in data. So what's our first action going to be? Hire a data scientist to tell us what we should be focused on and to figure out how to derive value. Put another way, they kind of jump in without a strategy. Right. Right. And sometimes you get fortunate where that, like I said, that data scientist may come in and they may have a really good idea of how to tie this to business value. Yeah. But we're seeing a divergence and like data scientists are becoming more specialized in particular areas and they want to come in and work on the things they want to work on and they can definitely demand that primarily because the market is so crazy like there's just no and so if you don't have a strategy it doesn't have to be something that says here's where we're going for the next five years but someone should own that and that could potentially be someone who's already at the company which is completely fine you don't necessarily have to go bring someone else in But the idea of having a plan and having a strategy for how you're going to invest in particular data products is critical. A really important component here is a lot of companies talk about having a data strategy. I've particularly noticed this at non digital native companies. They're like, we need a data strategy. I actually think they probably need like a data product strategy, which is like, how are you going to derive specific value? out of parts of your data assets rather than have this holistic, which is what a CDO might focus on, this holistic idea of data transformation and value.
1: I, this does get thrown around a lot. And I, I've heard some really good framings that it's like, well, it's really, let's figure out what the, the business strategy is and then how data serves that. You know, <laughs> there's lots of different framings for that. And I, I I understand what you're saying there. How do we identify the skills that we want, particularly for someone who's highly trained in a technical area? Think empathetically. So, you know, my background is obviously in design, and one of the things that I have to work on a lot with my clients and with with data scientists in particular is getting out of the head of wanting to work on the thing and learning how to fall in love with the customer's problem and their need and this whole idea of empathy not being a squishy thing, but it's like, do you want your work to matter? Like, if you did all this great NLP work, do you want it to matter, or do you just want to? just write code or work on models all day long, and you don't care if it ships and makes a difference. And I think good product-minded people care a lot about that outcome. So this output versus outcome thing is a mindset change that has to happen. Do you agree with that? And is this something we can develop out of anybody? Is it something we train into people? Do you even agree that that's what's needed to do that well? Again,
0: I think your questions are all spurring longer post discussions in my (laughs) mind, which are good, which are very good. I think when it comes to this space, we have, I mean, just look at data scientists. The reasons that they are data scientists are all over the place. Some of them are just fascinated by the architecture and the model building, really could not care less about what business they're doing it in. Right. Others are very motivated by the business that they're operating in. Yeah. And they try to figure out, like, what is the best approach for the business that I'm operating in? Again, I think it's rather than, you know, the role specifically, it's do you have people who can represent the interests and what's good for the business and also have credibility with the technical crowd? I think the reason I've seen a lot of, you know, technical people become successful data product managers, this is certainly true at Yelp, is that they have this level of credibility built yeah. with you know, engineers, data scientists, whoever it may be, and it creates trust, right? And it creates trust that yeah. like, you may be talking about business outcomes, but that you understand and can empathize with where they are. And so I think it's this dual empathy that's really critical, right? Can you understand what it's like to be in a data scientist's role, and experience those constraints and can you also understand what it means to make a decision on do we invest in this area or this area to support the like investor promise growth of the business and i think it's that like dual empathy not everyone is going to have it either you kind of have to choose like you may have people who over index in one space who are motivated to index higher in another you're probably not going to find all the unicorns that operate in both because I don't think they really exist.
1: (laughs) The design world has the same issue. You know, a lot of talented, you know, individual designers I know, they love the craft of doing that. I went to school for this. I don't shouldn't have to explain my job and why I do it. And you should just trust that it's right. And it's about the craft. But if you want to be really successful with that, You need to understand it from the engineering's perspective. And you need to understand that, we know we can't predict this because the the data is a complete mess. The accuracy matters. Wrong decision-making has business consequences. So, yeah, that chart's really nice that just tells the answer, the magic answer to the customer. But there has to be some meat and potatoes behind that, some solid foundation behind that. So, you know, I I agree with you. What what I've seen that works best is when all these roles can be empathetic to the other roles there and they they understand enough. They don't need to know how to code. They don't have to build a model, but a designer needs to understand those pains and challenges in order to design really good solutions and vice versa. I think the data teams need to understand the customer, the user's perspective and how there's irrational things that happen and like emotions come into play and like my confidence and my need as a human at this company, I'm being replaced by machines. Like this stuff is all really real. It's not fake, it's real stuff. And just the, the attitude of, it's not my problem if they don't understand it, which still exists. I mean, this just came up again this week on LinkedIn and someone mentioned a, a comment on my post and it's just like, it's not my problem if they're bad at their job. That was the reply. And and I don't know, it sounds like there's more commonalities to some of my past, I, you know, when I was a staff designer somewhere. I don't do you agree with that? Like we need to understand each other better. <laughs> oh, I think there's a lot of people who in a
0: large meeting will talk about the need to break down silos and empathize. Yeah. And then the minute they get out of the meeting, will start being like, it's not my job. (laughs) And it's really important because if you think about like, what are the incentives for people to do that and care? Like there's, it's great when people are intrinsically motivated to do this and break down silos and work across boundaries and understand each other. You're going to get lucky in some cases, but what what about in the cases where you're not? How do you Yeah. And I think that's where people have operated on like you know, hope hope is not a good strategy here and I think this is where product managers you can make you can make them accountable for doing this type of work. And I think it actually introduces a degree of accountability to be able to say this person is responsible for doing this and that i think is a value add and it sometimes looks like in different forms depending on like experimentation analytics whatever it may be i do think there's a lot of value in having that person be accountable for those type of actions
1: i wanted to jump over to some questions about problem solving and problem discovery and get your take on that. So I kind of see three levels of like, your problem sleuthingness. there's like giving people what they asked for is kind of like level one, sometimes that's a win, because they know how to form the statement really well. And they know how to ask a question really well. Step two is, I work with someone to understand what they need. And specifically, I'm good at getting to the unarticulated problem through research, inquiry, shadowing somebody understanding their job. Level three is I anticipate needs before they even occur because I know the data well. I know the business. Well, I've talked to them for years. I can see like, oh, I can help the accounting department with this. I'm going to set up a meeting and talk to them about this. Those kind of three levels of maturity are there. Do you think, do you agree with that? First of all, do you agree that that structure exists and. Is the big problem with low adoption of data products in our industry because we're mostly at level one here, which is giving people what they ask for. And we're not doing kind of level two, which is getting out and understanding the unarticulated needs and knowing, I want machine learning. Can you give me an algorithm that will do this? It's like it's loaded with solution. <laughs> you know, that statement needs to be unpacked. Is that why we're not doing well? Because the industry does not do well with delivering great solutions. The hierarchy that you mentioned, the three levels. I think
0: resonates because it does tell that story of different ways that we can add value. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: My guess is, and this is, you know, again, it's based on experience rather than like, I have a broad survey of information. Right. Um, right. And I think this like with with level one, I think that's people's generally that's their first approach, which is to say, what like what do you need? Right. Literally, write down what you need, and then we're gonna go build it. And when you have data science going directly to like an engineering team, which is a dynamic that certainly exists in many places or data science acts as the engineering team themselves, they're going to build the things that they hear about in the moment. And, you know, strategy sounds great until someone's like pinging you on Slack late at night being like, this is broken, (laughs) fix it, right? Like (laughs) this is a...
1: Is it done yet?
0: Yeah, right? (laughs) So strategy can blow up. And I think there's a few issues. One is that, like you mentioned, we're anchored very much at level one. And it's hard to sometimes get out of that because that actually requires having a strategy and what I would say, like a reason to say no to certain things. Yeah. Because if you don't have a direction that you're going, it's very hard to decline things, even if you don't think they're valuable, because what else are you going to do? Yeah. The other issue i think is that we go too quickly to level three without having done a lot of the legwork to actually understand our customer like people Mm -hmm. talk to like a a good example a few years ago i was at a company and we were doing there's a lot of discussion room. we we need we need to understand the customer so this person walks in two days later comes back like all right i'm ready to go how do you What did you do to understand the customer? Like, oh, I walked over to the desk of these two people. I'm like, okay, (laughs) is that, do you think that tells you what you need to know in order to like anticipate their needs in the future as well? And I often think we go off of anecdotes. We go after, we go off of too many small experiences and generalize those to make principles about like what's going to be important two or three years from now. And so I think we don't spend enough time and I think the key to moving from level 1 to 2 to 3 is to not only understand your customer at a moment in time but to like understand how their needs are changing over a period of time. It's yeah. not enough to like drop in every 6 months and say hey I'm back and this is where a like product manager who's very effective can keep the pulse on what those changes look like and how the customer is evolving that's the only way I think you really get to level three is to understand how people's needs change. Mm -hmm. And if you just look at a slice in time, which is what a lot of customer needs frameworks look like, (laughs) it's very hard to anticipate how they're going to change over time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you at Yelp, do you involve, you know, this is what, you know, the, the user experience discipline has talked about forever. And there's still companies that are really fighting to do more customer research as foundational. And not not just jumping design, which is tooling and solutions and making stuff. You know, the research is about really that problem discovery, understanding the need. And we all hear, we talk about it a lot that we won't have to spend as so much time making stuff and making wrong stuff if we understand the need better. But it doesn't always happen. And I'm curious, do you partner up with with UX at Yelp to do this kind of research, or do do the d- data professionals do that on their own? Do they? go talk to the marketing team by themselves and do that kind of research like how do you do it i think in a very large
0: mature data product org it's probably a combination of all the things you mentioned it's ux it's data product we've started from the place of trying to get data product managers as close to the customer as they can be and so rather than rely on any layer of translation it's hey we want you to spend x number of hours a week engaging with different parts of the customer base, whether it be marketing or sales or product managers who are trying to run experiments. I don't think there's an easy replacement for hearing direct feedback. What I try to focus on is then learning by like an accumulation of evidence because people tend to be fairly reactionary and they'll have like a very insightful conversation and then immediately think like, okay, this is altering the whole roadmap. From this one conversation right so i think it's more about how do we accumulate evidence over time across these different areas and understand customers over time and ux is definitely a part of that i think we probably could do better at yelp in that space which is to really think about what the technical design looks like of our tools and user experience i think for right now it's understanding just what they're trying to do the making sure that we have the right things in place. But I think there's a place for, you know, when you talk about optimization of user experience, we're partnering with our design team to focus on some aspects of our experimentation platform now. Mm -hmm. And once you get there and you understand the needs really well, you can start to optimize certain parts of the experience so that people start to do (laughs) more useful things and actually find it to be like, A pleasant experience instead of something that they have to hammer through and painfully walk through
1: yeah 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 how does that interaction work at yelp is it challenging is it mostly just both sides find it really beneficial like what's it like i don't know if it's developed
0: deeply enough to say like to describe the whole thing i can tell you that when it comes to experimentation it's really like it started from me going to talk to our head of design, and saying like, here are the things we're trying to do. This is why it matters for Yelp. These are the things we're trying to do better that we don't have the internal team expertise on. Would we be able to partner with like, people in the design org to help this? So I'd say right now, it's, it's more dependent on a certain product and understanding when UX needs to come in. I do think if there were a I would say in the near future, we'll have probably much more of a technical product design group where they focus on like working with our deeply technical products. That could be for developers working with data, it could be for data scientists to focus on like creating the best experience possible. I think this is probably an area that a lot of companies just are missing out on because, again, the silos. Yeah. I know i'm not a designer and so i know a lot of things that i don't know and i go talk to these groups to say like do you yeah. think
1: there are things we could do better in this case for the customer right no you're right i mean a lot of you know when software come especially data software companies come to me whether it's data management or storage or insights tools they feel it in that at the sale it's changing like they're feeling it in the sales cycle right where the quote enterprise buyer the The head of the VP of data science is the one that's going to have to use this tool that's supposed to save his team job. The tolerance level for crap is so much lower than it used to be. Like my phone, I can do this on my phone. Why is this so complicated? Like, look at this thing I could do. I can look at a billion rows spreadsheet on my phone, this little startups app. And like you're selling me this like enterprise grade tool that looks like it's 25 years old. And I don't know if you agree, but I think the tolerances for that stuff have changed. Like, it needs to save me time. It needs to make my work better. And data scientists are users, too. Analysts are users, too, you know? Absolutely. You know, like... There's so many places
0: where people are not putting up with the stuff that they used to. And I think it's good. It also has spurred a lot of, I think, product managers in this space, especially, have to navigate a lot of build versus buy discussions. Right. you know, back to your point that you just mentioned, we see a lot of solutions out in the marketplace. A lot of startups, data startups are generating things that we're like, oh, that looks really, that looks 10 times better than the thing we have. Why would we not just buy it? And like the question about whether you focus on internal development or external buying often actually goes back to like, what is your business trying to do? Right. And how much is this going to cost us over time? And that's again, like, it's just fascinating because again I think anyone listening I want them to come across this with this is a field and an area in motion. It's not something we're just we're right. describing it right now in, you know, August of 2021. Right. It's probably going to look pretty different a year from yeah. now, which yep. I find pretty awesome and fascinating myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, jump, I wanted to jump back to one other thing. We were talking about this kind of uh, problem space definition and how we uncover these types of problems. And I wanted to ask you about, I know you, you have a large experimentation platform at Yelp, so there's this idea of we're designing for classes of problems versus we're designing a custom solution for this, a bill pay system that lets you write checks online to somebody. It's very discreet and specific it's different than designing for a class of problems. I think that's really hard to do. And I'm curious if you have any strategies for that, because you need this infrastructure to do so much of the work, especially with with advanced analytics and, and predictive analytics and machine learning. You need infrastructure, which it's its own product in a way. Do you even think about it that way? Like classes of problems instead of discrete problems? Or do we start with a discrete problem and then kind of Let's genericize it. Let's make this a component that can be reused. Kind of the software engineering mentality. Like, how do you think about it? I think if you listen to most
0: people talk about their products, it sounds like they knew what the generic class of problem was and they designed for it. In reality, they probably started somewhere. Mm -hmm. They started. So for us at Yelp, we started with an experiment in consumer, right? It was Mm -hmm. like, hey, okay, we ran a couple that seemed to go well. We should run some more. And so the initial version of the platform, I don't know if I call it a platform at that time, was really focused on supporting consumer experimentation. And that we have a lot of things that are baked into that, which is like sample size is easy to hit. You don't have an issue with power because like, you know, we have hundreds of millions of monthly users. We can easily divert traffic and do what we want. So I think the class of problem for us is actually defining like what area of the business is this experiment affecting? Is it are we experimenting at the business level or the user level? Are we experimenting in our ads business, our local business segment, our consumer area? So I think the issue is that the class of problem is often tied to your strategy and like the verticals you have in your business, right? This is a, it's, I think it's often where we have you know classes of problems when we have an external platform or tool come in and say hey you should buy our like solution the integration costs are usually on how do we make their solution work for the classes of problems that we have at our company there's a lot of other stuff that comes into it but i think that's a major challenge
1: do you agree that the definition of doing a good job of articulating the definition of those is is a challenge i mean this to me gets back to this research thing like if if you're not if you don't have enough customer exposure hours i don't know how you possibly do that accurately without just guessing that Hmm, maybe marketing could maybe want to classify some things like (laughs) these abstract out of the totally uninformed guesses. It's the hope. I don't know. But I think you need a lot of customer exposure time, which doesn't seem to be normal, because we focus on making building, making doing. (laughs) What's your take?
0: I think the, you know, the classes of problems that you're talking about are really critical for actually creating a useful like product strategy for a data product. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, if you want to come up with, you know, a path forward for a product that's going to really be persistent over a year, two or three years, the things that will remain stable are probably these classes of problems that you're trying to work with. The like specific form of them may look different over time, mm-hmm. but you generally know that like these are going to be thematic things that you're coming back to that your customers are trying to do over and over again. And that, to your point, if you don't have a deep understanding of what your customer is trying to do and are able to, again, what you said, abstract it to some general class of problem you're probably going to end up building a solution that's too narrow and not sustainable because it yeah. will solve something in the short term but what if you have to like re-architect the whole thing and yeah. that's where it becomes really expensive and where like having a product
1: strategy pays off sure this is totally anecdotal but i feel like I've, i have seen a fair number of projects where It's mostly about infrastructure and all the theoretical things that one could do with it if one knew how, and it's not my problem if they can't figure out how to do that because it does support all those things. So you end up with lots of plumbing, no faucets in the right place. (laughs) Pressure's not quite right. Maybe the water's a little dirty. (laughs) Is there a balance here? Like how do we find that balance between that? and, And because it's easy to show progress and say, look at what we made. We stood up this thing in the cloud we made this thing and now you can pull data from all these places. And this business person's like, and I get what for that? Like, what do I, what can I do with that? Like, (laughs) I think experimentation is a good example here. Like, yeah, we have multiple
0: engineering teams that work on it. One of those is focused specifically on the infrastructure, Uh right? How do we log? How do we capture data? How do we actually move it through our pipelines? There's another engineering team that is entirely focused on what I would call more of like, the customer experience, like, what do they actually go through when they set up an experiment? Like, what are, how do we get them to identify a minimum detectable effect or something like that? And we have data scientists who are working at this layer too to say, like, hey, this is what people are trying to do. So I think your, if you only have the infra perspective, like, hey, if you knew how to do all this stuff and you knew how to operate from the command line, you could use this tool as well. Right, it's probably not going to be a good thing. And so, rather than have an entire team that's supposed to like manage everything all the way from the infra to the like the end user experience, I think is pretty challenging because there's this like idea that oh, I'll just get a full stack engineer they will do infra and design. And I'm like, no, that's not that's <laughs> not a thing. Like, no <laughs> one can do that. So I think you really have to figure out like what do you need this engineer or data scientist to be really good at and to build different layers into that support because if you just have a whole bunch of infra engineers you're going to end up with some great infra and no one's going to use your product yeah. <laughs> similarly too many front end and everything is going to look beautiful
1: and when they click something it's not going to do what they want it to do right yeah yeah no i understand any eric i just wondered you know kind of i want to get into your mailing list and, and how people can follow up with you I'm curious if you've had to unlearn what you have learned, and <laughs> have you had to change anything about your whole approach with this? And I, I'm particularly asking, because I'm stereotyping here, but I do tend to see highly, narrowly specialized, trained people, especially those with PhDs, they tend to look at the world in a, in a very detailed, specific way, because that's what they know. And sometimes that means unlearning some of that and realizing the world isn't that way. A lot of the rest of the world isn't that way if you don't work in that domain. I'm curious if that's true for you, or just in your career, if you've had to change any of your perspectives about having a good career with this stuff and making. I've it had
0: work. to. I've had to blow up a lot of frameworks by which I see the world, and you're totally right. If I mean, w- most people in data are highly trained to do something. Yeah. And part of what that does is it allows you to do that thing, but you also tend to like bring that lens and that framework to try to interpret everything else. Yeah. And you get frustrated when something doesn't that framework. And you're like, they just don't understand what I do. So for me, it's been really important to ask a question to people when I meet them and talk to them. I'm like, what do you do? And it's really fascinating the types of responses you get, because when you ask a fairly open-ended question like that, they also tend to introduce like how they see the world, how they see the business, mm-hmm. what they think they're pushing for. And I've had to really unlearn that idea that I need to create a definitive framework of what someone does. I just need to be able to put on different lenses for like, Hey, if I'm talking to design today, this is probably the things that they're going to be focused on and concerned about. If I'm talking to our executive team. This is probably how they're going to break this problem down and look at it. So I think it's not necessarily dropping certain frameworks. It's being able to understand that some of them are useful in certain scenarios and they're not in others. And that ability is something that I think has created this you know chance for me to look at the data product from different spaces and like think about why it might be valuable:
1: yeah, I, I'm fully with you there. I think that's great great advice and I, I, on the subject of advice, you've been publishing a ton on LinkedIn and that's, that's why I actually reached out to you so you're super active on there. We'll put your profile link in there. You have a, a new mailing list though, right?
0: Yeah, I started writing a newsletter called from data to product, I think, maybe four months ago now. And I think for a long time, I had tried to figure out, you know, I need to do something on top of LinkedIn. And it wasn't until I finally found like there were, there's so many newsletters about data science, like, so like many, many, many. And once I really figured out that I think there's something here that needs to be shared around data product. That's when I felt like I had like a specific area that I could discuss and contribute Mm -hmm. in. And so I've started writing. I wouldn't say that there's a strategy to the topics. They're very often reflective of the things that I'm learning and thinking about. And they're generally trying to like spur conversation rather than be a like 20 page deep dive into this is a framework for how to think about this. And I think the best part has been that it, creates interesting conversations. It also identifies holes and gaps in my own thinking and approach to things. So it's been awesome. I don't know, like, you know, managing a newsletter and writing is its own time investment, but I, it's creating interesting conversations. That, and that's kind of my proxy metric for, like, is this useful to keep doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can people find that? What's the URL? It is on Substack. And it's called, uh, just Eric data product. So
1: Eric data product. Okay. Yep.
0: And again, we can include the link afterward, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I think writing, I think doing what you're doing with, you know, podcasts, like podcasting, we're all trying to create conversation and help people think about things in a different way. And so this is, even the questions you've asked today, they're going to like stick in my mind for <laughs> the rest of today and be like, Hmm, that wasn't, it was deeper than I even thought when we were talking.
1: <laughs> well, good. I'm hoping it's stimulating things and I'm, I'm with you. I've been writing for five years and, and I write to figure out, to clarify my thoughts. And like, what do I actually think? Of? Like you asked, what do you do? It's like, I had to write for five years to figure that out. I think I still am, but it helps you clarify your thinking you know, and it's not premeditated. I've learned so much about the power of writing uh, and how it's not, you think it all up and then you dump it on the paper. It's like, no, actually you start writing and then you figure out what you're going to say as you're writing. It's complete. It's almost the way design happens. You do design and then you figure out what's needed in doing it. You don't premeditate it up front and it's a different, it's a making first kind of way of thinking. And I don't know, I find it really helpful for my own I yeah, do so too. Like sometimes
0: I don't know what I'm going to write about when I start. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I just have an experience that I've gone through that is important. Mm-hmm. And I try to think about like what really mattered from that experience. And then I often have something I can share. And that's if people are like, well, do you plan like weeks in advance? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. that would be nice if I really right. thought I could do that. But no, yeah. it's very reflective of experience.
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. Well, Eric Weber, thank you for coming on Experiencing Data, sharing these thoughts. Eric Weber from Yelp, I'll put all of his links up on the uh, show notes. And it was great to have you. Thanks for coming on and talking. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag #ExperiencingData. Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.